one of the most interesting lessons that I've learned over the years is let your people and even yourself make a mistake, celebrate that, understand what happened, learn from that and move forward rather than bringing out the whip and being upset and angry and shout. Do exactly the opposite. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Colombia, Argentina, Venezuela, USA, Malaysia, Indonesia, China, Great Britain, France. This rather long list of countries is not the lineup of the Tokyo Olympics, but a selection of countries our guest in today's episode has worked at. We'll discuss the lessons he has learned along the way and how he finds the balance between strategic focus and short-term goals during the hyper-growth phase his business is currently experiencing. Please welcome Job Adder's Chief Revenue Officer, Michael Savanis. Michael, thank you so much for joining today. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Felix. I'm really excited. For those people who don't know you, it would be great if you could introduce yourself and give us a bit of an overview of your career journey so far, which has been uh, quite an exciting one, as I know, and what you do now at JobEdder. Sure. It's a pretty varied career. I started out quite technical. I'm from Australia originally, and I started as a uh, systems engineer and uh, software developer. So uh, I try to keep my uh, deep technical roots a secret, but I started out from that world and worked here for a, a very large systems integrator called EDS, who is now owned by HP. So I, I spent five years with EDS and I was fortunate enough to be asked to, after a few years, to go on what's called the TDY or Tour of Duty bandwagon. So. I was asked to go to South America and I spent a bit of time in Bogota, Colombia as my first international assignment, which was fantastic. Spent a bit of time throughout Argentina and Venezuela. So that was an eye-opening, particularly young in your career, get to travel to South America. It was awesome. I was then asked to go to Asia and I spent quite a bit of time in Malaysia and Indonesia with EDS in varying roles. So as I mentioned, I started out quite technical, but then started graduating more into the project management and sales careers. So that was my first foray in, into sales. And then after about five years with EDS, I had the opportunity to join Oracle. The remit there was to basically go to Hong Kong, set up a, a new telecoms consulting practice and sell $4 million worth of deals in the first year. I thought, why not? Let's do it. So uh, I popped over to Singapore and then Hong Kong. I was there for the handover. So that was quite interesting. In 97, I owned Greater China. So I got to really experience China, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and all of Asia in particular. So that, that was a really fun time. And then after a few years there, I was fortunate enough to be asked to move to London with my manager at the time. And we were dealing with a very significantly large digital TV implementation. So I spent two years in England. And after about four and a half years with Oracle, I did my MBA in Paris. So yeah, you can see there's a big international flavor to my uh, career here. I had the opportunity to go to New York and study there for two months. I fell in love with New York. And when I came back, finished my MBA, I asked, could I be transferred? And the answer was no, you've transferred enough. So being young and impetuous, I took a chance. I quit my job flew to New York in the year 2000 and got a job 
right before the dot-com bubble burst. So that was awesome timing. But I got to work in a pure play startup, and that was my first foray moving from the very large systems integrators where everything was ready for you into the world of startups. And it was exciting, living hand to mouth. Are we getting paid? How are we going to sell? All of that. Unfortunately, it was during 9-11. So things didn't go too well in New York at the time. I lost my job, as did everybody else in the company, scrambled around. I ended up into the world of video. So after about three years in New York, I moved to San Francisco and I started with a company called On24, which was in video webcasting. And that was an amazing journey. And I spent a few years there. I got married in the US to an American lady. And after about five years in the US, we decided to take a chance and move back to Sydney. I'd been gone for 12 years and I thought, let's go try that. So that was back in 2006. And the journey of video started for me there. I landed with a video startup called Viacorp and grew that company quite well over three years. I then went to Adobe and some more video with Uyala. Back to On24 to restart the Asia Pacific journey here for them. And after about three years, I joined a company called Panopto, which is again a video company dealing more in the education space. And now I'm with JobAdder as the Chief Revenue Officer. So a bit of an abridged and fast journey there, but gives you a flavor that been all around the world in various roles. And now I'm really looking forward to taking JobAdder globally. That's right. And for those people that are not familiar with JobAdder, what do you guys do? And what's the kind of transition period you're going through at the moment? So JobAdder is a software as a service platform dealing with the recruitment industry, both for recruitment agencies who use our platform to manage and nurture all of their candidates, as well as in-house recruiting for enterprise organizations who want to streamline the process of bringing new talent in-house and how they can manage all that plethora of candidates coming through. In terms of a transition, JobAdder has been around for about 14 or 15 years. It's an Australian company that's done incredibly well here. A few years ago, we set up operations in London and have over 25 people there at the moment. And we've also set up a headquarters in North America in Toronto and are expanding there. So right now we're going through an immense growth phase and we're hiring and expanding in our international operations. Mm, excellent. In which ways has the pandemic impacted you guys? Because I imagine the pandemic has hit during that transition phase. Were there any issues that you guys needed to deal with? Yeah, look, the pandemic over the last year and a half has certainly hit the recruitment industry in quite interesting ways. So initially, when we shut down in March of last year, yeah, I mean, hiring pretty well went through a pause or a freeze where every organization was in a wait and see. And then throughout the year, what we noticed is particularly the smaller recruitment agencies dried up and lost their jobs and ceased existence. The enterprises pretty well held firm and stopped hiring or paused their hiring towards the end of the year. So we did a few things, particularly for the recruitment agencies, where we gave our software away for free as a way to keep helping recruiters, particularly those recruiting other recruiters, to keep into existence. What we've noticed there's been a bit of a change in scenery, particularly this year, where for the first time, at least I can remember, and I'm seeing the same thing in the UK, where there are more jobs out there than are candidates. 
And so it's a very buoyant industry. A lot of the recruitment agencies have burst back into life over the last six months, which has been great. And in particular, the enterprise organizations, what they're seeing is a bit of attrition and a bit of a difficulty in finding the right candidates because it is a, such a buoyant job market. Mm, that's right. I mean, especially in Australia, where the market is so reliant on external talent entering, I can imagine that it's quite a big impact. Absolutely. I mean, that's ceased, right? We can't get the external talent. So you're relying upon the current market. It is difficult to hire. And we've also noticed a, a wage inflation. So the salaries are rising in line with supply and demand. Yeah. So within your role, what are the sort of key challenges you face and you would say any CRO faces in a growth journey that is similar to what job editor is going through right now? We're in a hyper growth phase. So the challenges are, I guess, a bit different to those that are in a, a steady growth phase. So the challenges that we face are many folds. So the first one is finding the right people. So given the market conditions, finding the right people when we need them is a real challenge. And because we're hiring in a pretty fast paced scale out, particularly across the world, trying to do everything from here in a virtual capacity and not being on the ground in the UK or North America is another challenge. And then finally, as you're bringing everybody on, it's how do you enable them in all the different roles across sales, customer success, technical support, professional services, do you have the enablement processes both here in Australia as well as in, in the other regions to bring them up to speed quickly and be productive quickly in that virtual capacity. So there's all of those challenges. And then, of course, your traditional challenges of whilst you're doing all of that, make sure you hit your revenue targets, your customer retention targets, keeping your customers happy and delightful. All of those items all play into uh, your day-to-day decision-making. How do you facilitate that knowledge transfer between regions? Because I can imagine you generate an immense amount of experience across the different markets and as you grow, you'll figure out things that work well, which other markets might be benefiting from. So how do you facilitate that knowledge transfer? I believe in being quite transparent and being accessible. So I think they're two key things that I like to make sure that we send that message out. Now, there is the danger of over-communicating. So we use Slack, we use Confluence, email, Zoom video. So there's many ways to be in touch. The key is trying to balance how much information goes out to the teams because we're very intensive in, in being able to communicate in real time and having that information or that data being absorbed. So it is a constant challenge, Felix, that it is something that we're always looking to continuously improve and course correct. And so we rely on the feedback of the field. What makes their life easier? How do they want? So rather than us making the decisions and pushing it out, we believe it's in more the other way around. Listening to the field, what can we do to make their life easier? How can we communicate in ways that resonate with them? Not everybody likes the real-time communication. Not everybody likes to do a video 10 times a day. Not everybody wants an email. So learning what works with the individuals and the teams is one of the things that we continually strive to learn and enhance on. And in terms of the way you build a culture, which is obviously also a big part of growth journey, making sure that a culture builds that is performance focused 
and reflects the values of the company. How do you go about doing that remotely? Because I can imagine that is also quite a challenge for you guys. Absolutely, Felix. So culture is one of those things that is, for me, it trumps all other values. So one of the things that JobAir is famous for is its internal culture. And we take pride in maintaining that culture as we're expanding and growing. So during the interview process, and this is where it starts, one of the things that we emphasize are JobAdder's four key values, which are being customer-focused, having empathy, believing in innovation from everybody, and ultimately results. So during the interview process, we strive to go through each of those values and we assess the candidates, do they fit into those four values before we have anybody come through. So by that way, right from the start, everybody knows and understands the existing culture and fits into that culture. And that's, again, on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis throughout all of our communications at all levels, we tie all of those values into OKRs, objectives and key results, which we measure ourselves on at the leadership and the company level. Yeah. Sounds like you are doing that early on, which is probably the most effective way to do it rather than trying to impose the culture of people that are coming in and might think in a very different way. Well, that's right. In my career, I've done it the other way around where you bring people in who you feel can do the job, but then try and impose the company culture and, and it doesn't work. It ends up the employee being frustrated, the company being frustrated, and it's not the right way. So we do it very early on and we keep reinforcing that culture is the most important and tying that culture back to our values at a company level. Yeah, that's awesome. And in terms of your team's responsibility, you obviously manage all customer-facing teams within JobEdder. And the amount of intelligence that you gather must be incredible, right? Like the market intelligence and the insights that you generate. How do you go about capturing that and not only use it for the advantage of the teams that you manage, but also to socialize that across senior management, to utilize that intelligence, that market intelligence to make strategic decisions for the company? Great point. With so much information out there being so easily accessible, it's like the previous point I was making about over-communicating with the teams. The danger is there's so much that you can look, it's how much can you assimilate? So one of the key things that we do as a leadership team, we meet each week and we're incredibly data-driven and all of our, our decisions, our go-to-market strategy is all directly tied to market data intelligence. So one of the things that we have to be careful of is not use old data and base your decisions on that because as we know, the world changes. Who predicted COVID would have such an impact on the world? So you have to be able to very quickly course correct depending upon market conditions. So we gather all of that intelligence from all parts of the world and we rely upon our leaders in each of the territories who are the experts of their world to help us make those decisions and inform us of those, particularly as it relates to market conditions, recruitment, ups and downs, trends, etc. All of those goes into not only decisions on hiring or revenue quotas, etc., but as it relates to our product, what product needs are required by market at a particular point in time, given the economic situation. So all of those factors goes into our thinking and we think about these and talk about that quite often. So we do keep in touch and on top. 
but it is a challenge, right? It's a challenge to keep on top of getting the right information to allow you to make the right decisions and actionable insights based on that data. Yeah, exactly. Because data is plentiful, but there's always a scarcity of insight, right? And I guess that's what it comes down to. If you want to make the right decisions, you have to really do the analysis and figure out what really matters and where your focus should be. Yeah. I think that's a common theme. And as you said, there's so many information sources out there that it is hard to balance quality or trusted information sources with new information sources that might offer you an edge compared to other people that just might access the mainstream resources. Yeah, you're totally right. The other source of really good qualitative information is from the customers themselves. We do make a point, and I, I make a point to speak with our customers all around the world because you want to hear it from them as well. How is it impacting your world? How can we make our product better to help you? So rather than us from here in Australia trying to impose our customers in the UK or North America that you should be doing it this way, we get right from them feedback from various sources, whether it's from support tickets, from customer success team, to the leadership team actually speaking with all the decision makers in, in our customers. We try to gather that information on top of all the, the market intelligence data and, and balance the two. Mm. That's awesome. And in terms of the differences between regions, have you seen like in terms of the way you make strategic decisions, have you seen that there's a lot of nuance required between the different regions? Or is the use case quite similar? And it's just all about managing the scale? By and large, if you look at our what we do, the core features are fairly similar across. It's a recruitment CRM, you source candidates, you integrate with platforms like LinkedIn, for example, Seek here in, in Australia, Indeed, around the world. You can integrate with job boards, find good candidates, bring them into your database, nurture, move through the hiring schedule. So by and large, the core features are relatively the same. Where the nuances come are in particular markets. So for example, the UK is more of a temp contracting focused market. So what are the nuances as it relates to that in the UK? and including GDPR compliance items as well. In the US, it's a bit different. There's a lot of other different laws. So being very cognizant of the market conditions and privacy laws by region also factors into our decision-making as also the different styles of hiring and way that organizations hire. So that's how you differentiate yourselves amongst your competitors is being clued into each of the markets that you serve and do them well rather than trying to impose one way of doing it to all the other regions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that one size fits all approach works well with certain utility applications. But yeah, as you said, any application that is exposed to the local cultural differences, as well as the local law differences requires nuance. Totally. In terms of the balance between your short term goals and long term strategic goals, like how do you handle that? Because I can imagine in a CRO role, there's a lot of revenue pressure, you know, like at the end of the day, you need to, to bring in the money. But at the same time, you're trying to be strategic, build something long term and build a solid base for the company to flourish in the future. So how do you balance those two of competing priorities? Yeah, they are competing priorities, aren't they? On the one hand, you want to build a culture that you're inclusive. We mentioned about the, the four values before. But at the end of the day, the last value is results. So there is accountability. So along with 
having a, a deep understanding of the economic situations, what happens, you need to set some fundamentals. From a sales perspective, there are some fundamentals that you instill in everybody in having accountability for your number, having the ability to create your own pipeline and work as a team with all the other functions, marketing, inside sales, product, to help generate the awareness, the leads, the demand, etc. So it's a team effort, even though as a sales rep, you're accountable for your individual number. The truth is it's actually a team effort. So having that dynamic helps balance the short and long equally. I've been in organizations where it's like a whip. Here is your monthly target. You've paid your monthly commission. If you don't meet this month on month, I'm going to scream louder. That just doesn't work. That's a very short churn and burn mentality. It just doesn't work. You have to think long-term. You have to think strategic and understand that people go through cycles. Top performers will perform consistently, but even top performers will have a poor quarter. It happens. The real secret is having that deep understanding of your team and help to coach them through the troughs and the peaks. Understand what you're doing well and keep replicating that. And when you're not doing well, understand why you're not doing well, what happened, and correct. So having that culture and knowing that the management knows and trusts that the team will perform to that schedule helps to overcome that churn and burn mentality of whipping the team into shape because I can shout louder. Yeah, yeah. From a team management point of view, I guess that's easy to communicate. But from your senior management peers, how do you manage that? Has everybody bought into that mentality early on or did you have to do some convincing along the way? No, no, no. That's one of the great things that I walked into to job at. I've been here three months now, but that culture was already there. So the one thing that I like to do is have transparency on numbers. And I make that transparent, not only to the leadership team, but to the sales teams as well. We have our internal intranet on Confluence, for example, where I publish on a weekly basis. Here are the results. Here's by team, here's by individual attainment, etc. So there's no secrets. And I think that's one of the keys that is a, a bit of a breath of fresh air here where it's not a secret to hide the numbers. And if people aren't doing well, it's not meant to be a point the finger you're not doing well. It's just, hey, I'm seeing trends. I'm seeing what others are doing. Okay, I feel good. I feel better about what I'm doing. And having that transparency and that cultural acceptance of that is really, really good here. And it helps people to perform in a consistent manner. Yeah, that's awesome. And in terms of your partnership with marketing, marketing and sales, obviously, is always a crucial kind of dynamic that you need to get right to make that whole customer journey a success. Marketing, from my understanding, doesn't sit in your remit. How do you approach that partnership with marketing? I'm really fortunate in that we've got an amazing CMO, Taz Barham. She's incredible. Shares the same ethics and values as I do. Being transparent, we talk, we share, we collaborate. So we're inextricably tied to each other. We, we share our metrics, we collaborate on our metrics, we challenge each other in ways to help meet the company's goals. So I am very fortunate in that I have a partner and I view our chief marketing officer as my partner, as I do with all the other teams, whether it's from engineering, our chief product and technical officer is the same, our chief financial officer is the same, legal And of course, our CEO, we're all so tied together where we truly do work 
in a partnership. And that's one of the things that is making this role, even though it's such a large remit and there's so many challenges, move in the right direction. So yeah, sales and marketing are inextricably tied together, but it's not just sales and marketing. It's all the other functions that go into that. You need a product that works. You need a customer focused orientation to overcome customer challenges. And you need that teamwork to filter down not only the leadership team, but all the teams below to work at their levels and partner together as well. That's awesome. I think you're very fortunate in that respect. It always astounds me that that's still a thing in 2021 that organizations struggle with that alignment because I think digital has made the customer journey so seamless between marketing and sales in an ideal scenario that it's surprising that there's still communication issues, politics playing into place that kind of create a divide. And I think any companies that are dealing with that issue, they're, they're kind of they're their own biggest enemy. Yeah, totally, Felix. I mean, the last thing you want to hear is, oh, marketing didn't give me enough leads or sales didn't take my leads. And that has no place here. It truly is a partnership. So I'm very, very fortunate to be in that type of an organization. Hmm. And speaking of technology across departments, the tech stack is moving more and more into, uh, if it's not a platform that manages the whole journey, the tech stack is so integrated these days in an ideal case that the customer journey is really seamless and you're able to capture data, analyze it um, really effectively and work with other departments to create that really cohesive experience. Like which role does technology play in your organization and what's kind of core to your tech stack from your point of view? I mean, technology plays a, a key role and it all comes down to having a single source of truth. You know, I've been in organizations that don't use the same CRM in all parts of the company. The finance team has their own system, engineering has their own system, marketing has their own, sales has their own, and it's a recipe for disaster. So one of the key items from our digital transformation, and we're going a fairly extensive digital transformation journey at the moment. So one of the areas that I'm leading is the CRM transformation. So making sure that marketing, sales, and support all use the same repository so that we have a 360-degree view of our customer, whether it's from a marketing qualified lead, through the sales cycle, through to the, being an actual customer, in one spot, we can see that whole journey and it integrates into our finance systems. And from a product perspective, they can uh, integrate to that. So having that unified CRM is one of the single most important items that we're undergoing. And then there's from a communication perspective, as I mentioned, we use Slack. We're very big on incorporating video into our messaging, both internally and to our customers. And then it ties back into our CMS from a website. So we're going through that journey where we're looking to integrate all of these items and reduce the 50 or so pieces of different technologies that we had doing similar things, consolidating those down into a manageable few. I just want to touch on something that you mentioned in our initial catch up. You mentioned video for internal communication. You do something that I found really interesting and I think could be working really well for other organizations as well. Like talk us through how you manage the communication across your teams. Yeah, video is quite important to me. I come from a video background, 20 years in that industry. So one of the things that I've been able to bring in as part of the um, cultural aspect is that I do a weekly CRO video to the company. It's only a few minutes, four to five minutes at the most. I talk about what's happening in my world, what's happening in terms of our customers' results. 
and any major initiatives. And every now and then I'll bring in another member of the team and do a little interview just to introduce them. But it's important to have that visibility. People relate to video far easier than a text message or a Slack message or an email update. So I've tried to do that. And what's been rather pleasing is I've seen other teams now do that as well. And our support teams have incorporated video with their customers and receiving really good feedback. We all respond to video. So having that video, people have that relatability, that more personalized message, because email, you don't always get the tone right in a Slack or an instant message, MS Teams message. It's very black and white. And so that's why I really believe in the value of video as a communications message tool. Yeah, that's awesome. So internally, you've received really positive feedback too? Yeah, I've been very pleased to see the other leaders incorporating video and doing similar things for their teams and then using that across the company as well. For those listeners who are in the senior sales roles and are about to take the next step from, let's say, senior sales VP into a CRO role, what is your advice to prepare them for that kind of role? And what are the kind of things that they need to establish for themselves to set themselves up for success? Yeah, what a great question. Every situation is different, but the biggest thing or the biggest piece of advice that I could impart is you can't do everything yourself. The role is too huge. Build a really strong leadership structure underneath you and trust them to do their job. Let them and empower the teams to make decisions and encourage mistakes. I think that's one of the most interesting lessons that I've learned over the years is let your people and even yourself make a mistake, celebrate that, understand what happened, learn from that and move forward. Rather than bringing out the whip and being upset and angry and shout, do exactly the opposite. So just remember, don't do everything yourself, divide and conquer, make sure that you set very clear objectives. And I think that's probably the best thing you can do is be very clear where you're leading the company, what are the objectives and how to get there and hire the right people to help you do that. You don't have to do everything yourself. Let the teams free, encourage them, mentor and enable them to go do the jobs that you need to move into the direction that you want them to move to. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And you mentioned the leadership team underneath you. How many departments are there? Or how many department heads? So there's global sales. So I have a leader in the UK, leader in North America, and two leads in Australia and New Zealand. There's the head of customer success, which underneath has professional services or onboarding, has customer success management, global support and learning and development. And then there's commercial strategy as well. So there's those divisions. What would your advice be to really identify top talent for department heads if somebody is moving into a CRO role and is tasked to, to fill those roles? It's important to do a talent review within your organization at least twice a year and assess talent against the core values of the organization. And that's one of the things that we're embarking on at the moment. So understanding where your people are, what their objectives are, and having a, a structure that allows career movement, whether it's in your team or another team. So for example, I've had a lot of people move from inside sales to account executives or move from sales to customer success. That's a great 
path to do, even though it's in a different team, or move into product management. So being able to know and recognize within your organization who your top performers are, who your those that with a bit of coaching and enablement can become top performers, and of course, those that aren't going to be suitable for the journey ahead. And being able to recognize that and managing that is one of the key successes or items that any leader has to do to be successful. Michael, that's excellent advice. Thank you so much for your time. So if people want to connect with you online, where can they find you? LinkedIn is probably the best way to get in touch with me. Look me up on LinkedIn. My name is Michael Savanis. Yeah, look me up. Happy to connect. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I appreciate your time. I know you have very little spare time, which makes it even more valuable that you've joined this podcast. So thank you so much for joining. And let's do this again soon. Fantastic, Felix. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the time. You've been listening to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe in your favorite podcast player. If you want to learn more about sales enablement, you'll find a growing number of articles, videos, and templates specifically for enterprise technology businesses at krugermarketing.com learn. That's K-R-U-E-G-E-R marketing.com learn.